Welcome to the Millennial Recruiter Podcast, the podcast for forward-thinking recruiters. On this episode, I'm joined by the awesome John Manning, CEO of Arthur Ellis. John is a mental health champion. His business, Arthur Ellis, provides mental health training interventions to both corporate businesses and public sector organisations. Having started his career within the recruitment industry, I wanted to speak to, to John about what, what you can do to build positive mental health. So in this episode, we talk about our personal experiences and he shares so much valuable insights in what we can all do to build positive mental health for ourselves, but equally to look out for those around us and support them to build positive mental health too. I really hope you enjoy this episode. It's one that's really close to my heart. And if you do enjoy it, please connect with us, ask us any questions we're here to support. I hope you have a fantastic day. John, welcome to the Millennial Podcast Recruiter. How are you doing today? Hello, Ben. I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. How are you? Very good, very good. And I've really been looking forward to having our conversation. I think mental health is such an important facet of, well, life, that it's something I really want to be a champion of, like supporting people to yeah, go through any mental health issues. So thank you so much for, for taking the time to come on to the show, mate. You're more than welcome. It's been, yeah, it's been, I've been looking forward to it as well. Like, recruitment's quite close to my heart because I, you know, it's my first sort of proper job and setting out in my career. So it's really nice to uh, to be able to talk to you as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think it kind of brings on to the first question. So obviously you started out in recruitment, but now you run Arthur Ellis, a, a big mental health consultancy. So not within the recruitment base as such, but working with corporate clients, working with uh, GPs. How did that happen? How did you go from being a recruiter to, to doing what you now uh, do, do now, John? Yeah, well, it's um, it depends on whether you want the really, really long story or not, really, because uh, my journey with recruitment started when I was 18, and I think yeah. it's kind of everybody falls into recruitment. It's a really, it's one of those industries where I think anyone you ask just tend to have fallen into it. And um, I started out in recruitment when I was 18, and, and it was essentially because I was just looking for a job. Yeah. And I saw um, I saw an advert, I think it was in the paper, of um, come and do a presentation. There was like an open day, so I went and learned a bit more about it, did a presentation, landed a job. And um, I was awful in my first job, really bad. But then I managed to get another one and um, stayed there for a good few years, became... Uh, sort of one of the, the top billers in, in the company um, went to a smaller boutique more headhunty firm yeah. and um, and then throughout that period which was about six years I I'd always had issues with my mental health so I was first in a children's mental health hospital when I was six years old and I was back at the doctors when I was 16 and it, it was kind of like a recurring thing throughout my life so when I was around 24, after being in recruitment for about six years, I'd been in a waiting list for accessing support for quite a while, on and off assessments, that sort of thing. Um, could talk through more about that process if you want, but I eventually was fortunate enough to be able to afford to go to the Priory. Yeah. And I don't know if you heard of the Priory, Ben. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Dead fancy place. Yeah. It's like celebrities go and stuff. So I was like, yeah. right, if I'm going to go, I need to see someone up there to just give me answers and go through everything and it was like 400 pound for the appointment so yeah. I was like I could have one appointment 
and I, you're not going to rope me into any extra therapy or anything because I just can't. I'll be bankrupt. So um, I was diagnosed in that appointment with uh, something called bipolar disorder. Um, and on the way back, I kind of you know, I reflected on throughout my recruitment career and how my behavior had been, how my moods had been and how it like matched up with my billing. So if I was in a really bad mood, I wouldn't bill anything. If I was kind of more elevated, then I would be, in some cases, it was like 10 times in my, my um, monthly target. Yeah. So there was all, all like this massive revelation happened. And I realized that now I've got a diagnosis, it doesn't actually give me any guidance on how I manage day to day or how I manage going forward. So when I got back, I kind of thought more about it, did a lot of research as, as to what was out there in terms of mental health. And there wasn't really anything out there that, that gave that pra- those practical steps to not necessarily what anxiety and depression are or anything like that, but whether you have it or not, just how do you generally manage? Yeah. And um, so I decided to set up Arthralis. Um, had a meeting with my boss and it was a real nice mutual thing and we'd, we'd had a really good relationship. So yeah, I just kind of bit the bullet and did it. Started in 2017. And do you want to tell us a bit more about what Arthralis does at the moment? Yeah, so um, mental health awareness has massively grown. Yeah. And with that, it doesn't, it's raised, it's raised awareness of conditions. Like sort of, if I go into a school or something like that, uh, or if I go into a business, then I ask people, have, they, have you heard of anxiety and depression? Yeah. Everyone's going to put their hands up. Yeah. If I then ask people, if you get it, do you know how to recover? No one, no one tends to know. Yeah. So I set out in Arthralis to essentially, um, develop new training that wouldn't focus on conditions but would focus on how to support somebody else to recover um to or to manage an existing condition so over the last four years we've been developing a new form of training that supports organizations to support their members of staff or generally the workforce so we provide corporate training and it's like prevention training essentially and it's all accredited now by the british quality foundation and two years ago with how well the corporate side was doing we had an opportunity to set up a one-to-one service so I changed the structure of a company to a not-for-profit and the the corporate profits that we were getting I was using to fund a core team to deliver one-to-one appointments for our community and um over the last you know, the last 18 months, I know it's been really, really difficult for a lot of people. And in that time, we've we've grown by five times um, in order to support the amount of people that were coming to us. Yeah. So our corporate work um, and prevention work in corporates supports the one-to-one service. And now we're the biggest um, independent mental health provider in our in our region. Um, and we're the highest rated in our region as well. Because when I was going through my difficulties, I, I was on a waiting list for about four years. Yeah. Um, so we have a, a really strict um, rule within the one-to-one service that no one waits more than two days. Yeah. Wow. So we're kind of setting a new standard and the mission's kind of changed now to, 
to make the UK known for incredible mental health services. Yeah. So that's kind of our new mission is I to mean, uh, transform that support structure across the UK. That is a, a real fantastic mission. I think like, the reason for me that mental health is close to my heart because having been through the recruitment industry since I was 17, I, I can see that there is a lot of people that potentially have undiagnosed conditions. Mm-hmm. It's only, I hit 33 and then started to go into the diagnosis for, for ADHD. Yeah. And I think, it, and you, you said this yourself about waiting times. So I, I was, I've been told that even though I started pursuing this four months ago, I probably won't get officially diagnosed until next year, which then brings in the support structure. And I think often there are lots of people working in the recruitment industry that might suffer from mental health issues and they're not even fully aware of it themselves or that they, they probably subconsciously are aware of it but they're treating themselves using things that aren't necessarily productive drugs alcohol etc all, all the things that I did in my my 20s to almost deal with yeah. uh, how how I was mentally I mean with, with that what what advice would you give to first of all like someone in the recruitment industry that is starting out in terms of spotting the signs of mental health issues amongst their their colleagues and friends what, what what advice would you give people in terms of being able to maybe be more aware of how to spot a condition or, or how to be helpful to, to different friends and colleagues yeah and that's one that's one of the things that we're trying to i suppose shift it to be, be a little bit earlier yeah because you know i think that a lot of people might might know the the signs and symptoms of conditions and it's, it's any change in changing characteristics change in behavior really so it's quite broad and it's a little bit vague but rather than recognizing symptoms one of the things that we try and instill in the in the organizations that we work with is that if, if you're pure, purely focusing on recognizing symptoms people are already symptomatic yeah. they're already sick so if we can try and rec- rec- uh, recognize like pre-symptomatic changes, that's what we need to start focusing on. So with, with pre-symptomatic changes, you kind of have to understand a little bit about what the difference between well-being and mental health is. Yeah. So mental health is a state of our well-being. So it's, it's where our well-being gets to a point where we struggle to manage situations that um that confront us and in recruitment especially you are you're confronted with a variety of situations on a daily basis so the the resilience to deal with those is lots of where mental health comes in and if that starts impacting our day-to-day activities then that's when you begin to struggle with your mental health so if you can't do your day-to-day tasks essentially your mental health is is suffering um, but way before then, there would have been well-being signs, like the pre-symptomatic signs. And well-being breaks down into these five categories of behaviour. And we, we kind of developed, because a lot of the work that we do with, is with children. So our one-to-one service is from eight years old upwards. Um, so I think the oldest client that we've had was 91. Um, oldest current client is, is around, she's between 75 and 80, I believe. And um, so we deal with a whole spectrum of people. So we wanted to try and develop something that was super simple. 
um, and kind of relatable for a lot of people. And you've mentioned drinking and alcohol and stuff. Um, when it comes to well-being, we have five particular strands of behaviour that promote good well-being. So one of them is, is movement and just we call it move, uh, which is our first one, which is just a general exercise. So what do you, what would you, what, do you have like particular things that you do in that, Ben? Like what, what's, what's your exercise? I, I, you know what, it's the last 18 months I've been saved by exercise. Have you? So I've got, well, I, people won't see this, unfortunately. I was going to show you my camera around, but I've got a, a boxing bag next to me. Ah, yeah. Next yeah. to my recruitment desk. I'm <laughs> doing boxing, weightlifting, high uh, interval training. Yeah. Love yeah. it. And it it has really helped my mental health. I noticed actually, so when I was really young, I used to cane activities. Then I got into the recruitment industry and I stopped finding time for it. And the less yeah. active I was, the more stressed I was without an outlet. Therefore, I, I found negative outlets. Exactly, so, yeah. That's a perfect example. Because what we, you know, like your boxing or your um, hit training or interval training, that all of the all of the behaviors that we do within our move category we call our bananas yeah so there are five categories of positive behavior so they make up your bunch of bananas um we can go through the other four in a sec but exercise is one i think that people, a lot of people get and we all do these bananas in our day-to-day -day lives it's a bit like brushing our teeth to keep our mouths healthy right in psychology it's called protective factors yeah. So they're things that go towards protecting our well-being. And therefore, as mental health is a state of well-being, it protects our mental health. So when we have like a good set of bananas and they're consistent, and the reason we call them bananas is that, you know, if you, imagine if you had a banana every day. It's not going to take a lot of time. It doesn't take a lot of effort. It doesn't exactly make you super full. But steadily, if you have one every day, it's going to make you healthier. Yeah. And... As and when, you know, if a banana drops off, like your exercise drops off, if you get busy or maybe, oh, my God, I'm not hitting my target or whatever, or, you know, we're really busy. So I'm going to work through lunch and I'm not going to go to the gym or have that lunchtime walk. You replace it with a donut. Yeah. So the donuts are those negative behaviors that aren't necessarily bad, but they're indulgent. And if you were to have one of them every day, steadily, you're just going to become more and more unhealthy. Yeah. so this kind of came about because I, I i shop at lidl and lidl have these toffee filled yum yums which are out of this world <laughs> <laughs> throughout the first lockdown i was going in they always put the bakery at the front don't they because they're just horrible people so as soon as you go in you see these glorious yum yums that are like lit up somehow by you know like an angel was stood behind them and um i started getting a couple um and then i'd go in and i'd maybe get four and then i would get six and by, by the time i like before i knew it i was sat on my sofa not moving at all eating eight donuts and and i was and donuts are like that they they kind of escalate because as soon as you have one one isn't you know one isn't enough anymore so it's that change in behavior and if we can establish what we do within our bunch of bananas in these categories of behavior, exercise being one of them and happy to go through the rest. But if we can establish what we do in those behaviors, it's when they drop off, which are like the pre-symptomatic changes that we can look for. Um, so there, that, that's 
what we need to essentially prioritize in our lives and as employers sort of understand what your team's primary bananas are um so that you can recognize when they start to change or they drop off yeah it's funny you say that so when we first had a conversation you told me about the bananas versus the the donuts uh, analogy and after that I actually started to track my bananas versus my donuts and it actually made me realize when I was starting to almost get to that stage of near burnout it was because I noticed that I was having a lot more donuts than bananas and I think it really is a, a good analogy can you tell us a bit more then about the other types of bananas that people can have yeah so so exercise is, is the main well they're all they're all very very important um but exercise is the main one i think that a lot of people get and then um and then there's the second one is focus and that's all about drawing our attention to the present moment yeah so that is particular activities like playing cards board games meditation mindfulness it could even be cooking or gardening something like that and it's often the the activities that we describe as being therapeutic yeah um so we've got a few rules that are attached to all of these so exercise can't be attached to a an unrealistic goal yeah because it's pressured so like training for a marathon that doesn't really count so it's more of the like you know if you just you know want to pick up your boxing gloves and just have a bit of a spar or if you go for a walk, something like that. Um, with focus, the rule is that it can't involve a screen. Yeah. Um, primary reason is that we want to draw our attention to the present moment. So we need to get rid of all of those things that provide us with notifications about what might be going on in the future. So if you tie that with anxiety, for example, um, anxiety is the the worry or concern about uncertain future events that's like the definition of it yeah. so we are we're, we're we're provided with uncertain future events all the time you know meetings submitting a proposal for a piece of work um going into the next month you know and you've got you know, start from scratch on your target and we're, we're constantly provided with these things so we're always going to be in the state of an anxiety of anxiety and anxiety is really helpful for us it's an emotion that we all need we all must have it's it's a really useful thing but that's where the shift from well-being to mental health comes and it starts impacting your day-to-day -day activities so it's all about how we manage it so things within focus really help to build that resilience against against anxiety and certainly in young people um or in any anyone really any age we've seen a massive increase in anxiety across you know across society since 2007 yeah. and the correlation with that is smartphones and social media because everything involves a screen now so we're constantly being bombarded with these future events and this uncertainty which the focus banana basically gives us a break from yeah. have you got anything in that would you say so I like to get involved in board games every now and then. So doing like long distracting games that are a bit different. And you know what? So I'm wearing an Iron Man t-shirt. See it there. I'm big into Marvel. So I started reading comic books. And I think comic books gave me something so different and unique. And I hadn't done. I really enjoy it. It's like escapism 
but reading it on an actual like annual versus on a phone is so so productive yeah i um i think that yeah re reading falls into it anything like that and, and i think that as long as you can find time for those things and that's what i mean about prioritizing because as soon as we start getting busy things like the, the things that we do in these these categories fall by the wayside and they just become um they just become afterthoughts really so if we're able to actually prioritize and diarize these things um if we need to diarize them then it's going to really help us keep on top of our well-being and so the I, I play solitaire just with a pack of cards. Like that's kind of been my thing lately. And they can chop and change and they don't have to, you know, you don't have to um, stick with the same thing. You can change them, adjust them. If you get bored, find a new one. But I've got a paint by numbers that is on the go. And um, I've only done one number so far, but I dip in and out of it when I, you know, I feel like I need to do a bit more of that. And like, so you don't, end of the financial year for me for example that's a time where I really need to start up in my solitaire <laughs> so it's just finding these positive ways to cope so that your donuts don't creep in um, so the third one is is discover and discover is all about learning new things and being open to learn new things and what kind of coincides with that is also being open to making mistakes um, so it's not necessarily about a big you know, a course or signing up to uni or anything like that. But remember, these are small bananas. So they're little things that you can introduce to your day. So it might be learning a new word, could be just a daily bit of reflection, like how's my day been? What have I confronted today? What have I learned from it? Or what can I learn from it? And that has a massive impact on our levels of confidence and self-esteem. And because you're always like, because you're always learning from the situations that are confronting you, two things happen one of them is that you're you kind of learn from it so that you're able to adapt easier in the future and if we think back to the definition of anxiety being uncertain future events if you're learning from everything that goes on you're minimizing the amount of future events that are uncertain yeah. so it goes towards um it goes towards that as well so uh, podcasts for example like this you know people can use this as a banana and share it and listen like bring 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 everyone around the fireside to, uh, to learn something about well-being but anything like that with that i mean can talk uh, learning about your marketplace be a banana so like for me i'm really interested in the market that i tend to recruit in which means it's actually really fun for me to to read about because because i do information security stuff reading about it can be really fun really different and one, it helps my recruitment, but two, it's actually, because it's so different, I'm learning something like radically new. I mean, how would you feel about something like that that directly correlates to your work? Absolutely, yeah. If you can, if you can build it into the workplace, like we, we, like in terms of corporates that we work with, and if we're establishing initiatives that they can drive people towards to, you know, boost their confidence, self-esteem and that sort of thing, and we're figuring out what you can learn in the workplace, we did some we did some work with a civil engineering company yeah. and they were they were primarily primarily focused on like reservoirs and water treatment and that sort of thing so it was learning about the environment that they're working in so it was about horticulture ecology all of that sort of thing so recruitment's exactly the same you know learning about your marketplace or 
learning about the the sales element or um or even how to manage and influence people or anything like that it's 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 about identifying things that are part of your day to day anyway and prioritizing them not kind of you know i'm gonna i'm, I'm off this afternoon because i want to learn a bit more about being a vet like because that wouldn't go down too well at work but if you can build it into what you're going to do day to day then you know that's that's amazing or even just building into your team like a bit like 15 minutes at the end of the day of like reflecting and learning from the day something like that something quite nice and simple but it's consistent i think that's a, that's a great idea mate that's a, that's really cool so what that's what three so far so we've done movement yep. focus I've, I've missed one already discover, so oh, the discover learning one. Yeah. yeah yeah so then and then we've got communicate so communicate is all about um well communicate's a a funny one it's a massive topic communication yeah but it's a big one that a lot of people struggle with especially if their well-being if it starts to drop off you know we, we know that you know if people go through a bit of a difficult time a lot of people do isolate themselves and yeah. that sort of thing so it's a really good one to pick up on so one of the rules around communication is that everything that we do in communication when it comes to our well-being needs to be face to face so in recruitment, especially recruiters may be working from home, a lot of it's going to be phone-based. Yeah. So when we're doing that, we are only relying on our verbal communication, like the words that we're saying or writing. So texting is purely verbal. Emails are purely verbal. Um, and we've probably had, you know, I don't know whether you have, I definitely have had like a text misread. And yeah. it's like the person receiving it hasn't really picked up on my vibe and they've they've not really taken it as well as I would have thought um and the reason behind that is is do you, do you know how much of our communication skills we're using when we're using verbal communication so I'm massively into NLP so I think it was something signposted so early on I'll let you I'll let you explain it John so so non-verbal amounts for seven percent of our communication skills yeah. So we're really limiting ourselves. So when it comes to non-verbal, so that's like eye contact, body language, you know, a lot can be said in a hand gesture, right? So, um, so that amounts with 93% of our communication. So when we're looking at actually looking at well-being as a skill and developing skills in well-being, we need to make sure that everything we do in communicate is face-to-face -face and it doesn't just rely on the verbal stuff. And this is, I kind of grip my teeth whenever I see like a there's a lot of children's mental health services that are sort of a text-based service and I think that when it comes to the fundamentals of well-being and certainly from a mental health aspect if you're if you're beginning to rely on a device to support you rather than a human it could be a human on the device that's fine but yeah. I think that that kind of fundamentally is is driving the seven percent rather than the ninety three percent that's going to help people, you know, effectively manage their well being moving forward. So, all of our communication bananas need to be face to face yeah. to access that skill development in it. Yeah. So, I, I communication is a big one for me. I, I really struggle. So, when I stop messaging people back and all of that stuff, they know um that I'm kind of on a bit of a 
downward trajectory and maybe starting to introduce some donuts. So, um, so I have like a weekly, we have a weekly like family pub quiz that we do and we've kind of put things in place so that there is that consistency there. So is that what, do you, do you kind of relate to that about communication? Definitely in terms of the fact that when I'm going through stuff, I can drop off the radar very quickly. I think it's it's something that I know that I, I struggle with is as a recruiter, you can spend a lot of time in this world on Zoom, having conversations with countless people. Today, I've spent five and a half hours on Zoom and part of me doesn't really want to see anyone else this evening. But then the other side knows that it, it's really good. So what, what, one thing I've noticed recently where I was getting a bit more stressed is I make time for me and my girlfriend to actually go out and, and do things and have a, an experience where it's just me and her communicating for a couple of hours. And I think it's, it's something that I noticed when I was uh, younger in my 20s that going and joining like different types of social clubs were really useful in terms of not only finding new hobbies, but finding like a like-minded group of people that I could talk to about something something non-work related so yeah that like certainly is a symptom of mine if I'm uh, going through rougher times and I think it's a really good idea to actually be looking out for that type of thing John cheers for sharing that mate yeah it, it is and I think um and it's it's kind of being a big thing about all of this is being honest with yourself about yeah. what it is that you do find difficult um because so many people find communication difficult and certainly as as like the workforce gets younger you know people have actually been brought up purely relying on majority of non-verbal communication skills so when you're getting into the workplace um to to focus on that as a real thing it's kind of like you know the the, some of the non-verbal and or, or when they're combined some really good communication skills to develop is assertiveness and assertiveness in in the one-to-one service we've got you know people with psychology backgrounds clinical psychology backgrounds and and a way to kind of assess someone's assertiveness is asking them it's a well-used psychological tool it's like how would you feel and we'll, we'll role play it or we'll go through a process of taking something back to a shop yeah it's a really good example because you kind of use a lot of different communication methods doing that but nowadays when was the last time you have to take something physically back to a shop yeah. So we're losing our ability to do these things and we're, we're kind of not avoiding the situations, but the, the situations aren't relevant anymore where, we're at, where we can actually develop these skills. So as, a, as an organisation or as an individual, if you, can, if you know that and you can kind of put yourself in those situations in a safe way and look at it, look at it as skill development, yeah. then you're going to have a much better relationship with your well-being and as a result, you know, it, it, may, it makes your ability to, to build and maintain relationships so much better. Um, so, yeah, communication is a, a, a really, really important one. And then the, the final one is help. Yeah. And that is simply doing things to help other people. Yeah. Um, and as an organisation, whether it's CSR or it's volunteering, it's not, it's not necessarily about donating money or anything like that, but it might be sharing time or experience. So as, as an organization, maybe having a buddy system where you can develop someone that's more junior than you or helping out around the house, um, something like that. And, and one, of the, one of the rules around help is 
to to try not to tell anyone yeah um which is kind of a weird thing to say but if you actively try not to tell somebody it's kind of hard especially if you're a bit proud of yourself um and it's it's difficult to kind of make this one consistent because i think people do are generally helpful but um but it is something that gives us a real real good boost why is it that you would try not to tell someone so so when we when we help somebody else it's a process it's called altruism and it's um so when you help somebody else there are two particular hormones that are released into your brain so it's dopamine which is our happy hormone so that's what you know when we smile laugh get get a bit giddy that's dopamine that's like flooding through your body um the second hormone is oxytocin so that's the love hormone so that's you know fluffy puppy kind of warm fuzzy feeling kind of hormone so the brain's a bit like a valve so when the when dopamine and oxytocin are being released the valve that opens up and releases cortisol uh it closes so cortisol is our stress hormone so it's really interesting because we've done some work for corporate clients in uh, in malaysia and in, in, in like um east asian cultures and when it comes to help like if we've if if we've had a really bad day in like western cultures typically we'll think right go get a bath bomb we're gonna you know we're gonna light some candles and we're just gonna chill out and, and have some like, do some self-care right yeah. in eastern cultures if they've had a really horrendous day lost a few deals or whatever they will go out and they will find someone else to help and and it's that it's that kind of rush that you get and and great things so another similar to how our communication has changed over time with social media and and the different outlets that we have if we do share something a good deed that we've done which we're kind of encouraged to do it can if you think about those valves change from releasing dopamine oxytocin to releasing cortisol being am i getting enough recognition for the good thing that i've done so not to say that you know you necessarily you're not necessarily doing it for the recognition but there might be an underlying thing there that sort of prizes open the the uh the, the barrier to, to let cortisol out so it's just one thing that that can help prolong the release of the good stuff Okay, I mean, that, that's really interesting. Like, it's really interesting to to hear that, and it, it, it's something that, again, I, I've noticed myself that the the more I give back to others, the better I feel. And uh, the reason why I ask that question is I, I try really hard to avoid oversharing charitable things that I do because it's not the reason why I do it. I don't want to, I, I sometimes, I'm a bit of a cynic, John, so I see someone posting, oh, I've done this to help someone, and I think you, you've, you've done that to help, you, you've helped someone, so you can post about it on bloody Facebook or LinkedIn. But it's really interesting hearing the science behind it, because it, it makes a lot of sense that sometimes people do do things, whether consciously or subconsciously, they do things for, for recognition, whereas probably part of the, the time that I felt good giving back is because I haven't told anyone, therefore there's no emotion attached to it other than the fact I was just given. Absolutely. And, you know, putting that into like an organisational context, um, you know, organisations I know do want to shout about the good things that they do. 
but just on occasion if they were to you know as a team do something good and then the the leader or the the team leader whoever it might be the manager of that division specifically says you know just like it's nothing you know I'll, we don't need to tell anyone about that or you know why do we need to tell somebody and yeah. sort of setting that example of we've done something great here no one needs to know but it was it was because it was because it was a great thing to do and um that's one of the fundamental changes so if you add up all of the changes over time to these fundamentals that we need for our well-being it's kind of not a surprise that we're edging into like mental health or in a fully fledged mental health crisis yeah um so recognizing changes in those five behaviors is the they're the, like the pre-symptomatic changes before symptoms set in um so if you can manage through managing bananas um that's a you know that's a, a way to really keep on top of it and manage your mental health as a result no definitely and that, john this has been really really interesting to, to hear that to hear real tangible things that you can do to support your own mental health having more bananas and donuts so when you said that to me that has stuck with me and i'm now always <laughs> thinking how many bananas have I had and how many donuts have I had and I, but the, the fact that you can then also use that to to raise awareness and understanding that someone okay has maybe sp spent less time speaking to you therefore there could be something wrong they've spent less time learning something new or again they've abandoned their exercise routine it means that you can understand when someone is pre-symptomatic to try and then do something to support them now f final question i would ask then is say then i i'm a consultant and i'm aware that one of the other consultants is starting to show these signs where maybe they're withdrawing themselves more they're, they're less social than before what, what can i do to, to positively help them so first port of call really if you're just another just another consultant it's just putting them alongside and if you've recognized a change in one of those behaviors, suggesting to do something in one of those behaviors. Yeah. So yeah, if, you've, if you know that one of your colleagues really likes going for a walk, but they've been glued to their desk, you know, get them out, get them, mm -hmm. you know, say like this lunchtime, we're gonna go have a walk around there. And it makes it for a really, really easy conversation. That might be enough for them to then kind of open up a little bit more about what's what's the reason behind them not being able to do it yeah. and it's trying to find that the core issue like what's actually getting in the way of it um so if it is that it's just a heavy workload maybe there's stuff going on at home it's trying to if you can get them involved in rebuilding that banana up into their lives they will naturally then be able to recognize what's been getting in the way of it in the first place yeah. a lot of the time because it's you know well-being is such an afterthought we won't know what's getting in the way of it so if you're if you're able to help that person build up that banana um they'll be able to much eat recognize what's been going on and what's been getting in the way of it in a much easier way and it's just a, an easier conversation rather than here's a chaise long you know lay down and tell me your thoughts <laughs> it's like it's a, it's a much more practical way to get somebody back on track now, th thank you so much for that, John. And 
I think, yeah, that, that, that was the last question that I wanted to ask you. And I really appreciate the level of depth that you've gone to in exploring these, these five areas and tangible things that people can do that supports their mental uh, well-being, but equally that they can do to, or that they can observe in others to then provide a positive support. So for everyone listening, like make sure you connect with John Manning, the CEO of Arthur Ellis, follow what Arthur Ellis are doing because it's phenomenal. And John, thank you so much for being on, on the show. Morris, thanks so much for having me, Ben. No worries. And yeah, if anyone does want to reach out, um, either from an organisational standpoint or a one-to-one standpoint, then yeah, we're here.